Well, hello, everybody. If you're watching online, special hello to you. Uh, we as a church launched into a conversation that appears to be about uh, the election. So I thought I would spell this out, that when we talk about the election, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. You're welcome for that. That was a very nervous laugh. Uh, if you didn't hear it, uh, it, was, it was nervous. Uh, if you missed the first week, don't, don't, you, can, you can go back and watch it. But in this election season, the conversation seems to be about them. The, the them, like, did you, are you going to vote for them? Do you know them? What do you think about them? Uh, some of us are like, you've paused the election and you think I'm talking about your best friend or what tragedy is going on in your life. And you're going, they said this about me and I don't know what to do with it. But uh, what you know about life is that we are in a season now that, uh, I'm trying to think of the nicest word to say. I don't have a lot of them. Uh, let's just say it's divisive because in theory, you're going to make a decision or a choice about them. Maybe you already have. Don't tell me. I'm not telling you mine. Let's just move on from that. But you're probably going to make a, a decision of some sort that seems big. In fact, I was listening and a commercial told me the other day, uh, I want to get this right, that uh, I was facing the most important choice in my life right now. I disagree with that, but that's some years of just living life. Uh, but it was pitched to me like this election is the most important thing in all of my entire life. And I begin to have flashes like, why am I we're raising kids? Um, I think that's important. Uh, God's important. My marriage is important. And I think if you're not careful, and the reason we're doing this sermon series is that maybe you've gotten sucked into the vortex of thinking life and hope is all in the next political whatever. And I think there's a better conversation. So I want to go after the choices that you're making. Many of you are good at choices. Uh, let me take a quick poll. You can answer online too. Who gets your clothes ready the day or the night before? Does anyone do this? It's like you're living in shame. Raise those hands with, okay, yes. So, so I'm with you on this because I don't like in the morning making choices. At least I like to minimize the choices. But you have, you have lots of choices that, that, well, many choices are easy and and, and some, there are some that are excruciating. The easy ones, just so you know, uh, the easy ones should be, what do you wear? I know some of you are like, this one of the most difficult decisions you make every day. I'm not gonna hate on anyone who might try on three to 10 outfits before you leave the house. I'm just gonna look at the whole everyone, okay. Uh, some of you, uh, how do you take your coffee? Some of you, what are you gonna have for breakfast? Are you gonna work out? Uh, some of you, when you get to work or you get to school, you begin to make choices that aren't all that big, like, like am I going to turn things in? Uh, am I going to write what the teacher's saying? Am I going to listen to what my boss is actually saying? And these are not actually complicated decisions. They shouldn't be. Actually, they should be like, you know, I know what I'm supposed to do. But then there's the, like, that you can up that a little bit and go to the bigger decisions of life, like, uh, am I going to get married? And are we going to have kids? And then you, okay, then there's the, the cliche, not, not bad in, in a cliche way, but like, are you going to choose the pain of regret or discipline today? Yeah, like, in other words, are you going to work out? Uh, kind of a thing. Uh, they're the big, they, but, 
But then, uh, if you go into the weeds of this, psychologists will tell you, you know what they say, the, the hardest decision that you and I regularly face is, there, there's, there's one that happens over and over, but this is like big, is will I or, or should I quit? Whatever it is, it, it, it quit a lot of things. But they say for you and I, that is one of the most grueling decisions that we will ever make. So here's what I want to talk about in the midst of an election season, because I think you and I have to look at ourselves and not make life all about other people. I'm not suggesting that voting is, is unimportant. I think you should uh, look at that. I, I'm not saying that what's going on is unimportant, but there are more important things, and your soul goes above the current political season. So how do we get healthy souls? Well, we have to go after a question like this. What should I know about making decisions? Again, for those of you who think I'm going to hint at who to vote for, we're going to go a little deeper than that, okay? And so I want us to get after how do I make decisions? And I'm talking like the meaty ones, the ones that you're, you, where you have to contemplate. Maybe you even seek the advice of other people and you begin to go, I don't know what to do or I don't know how I'm going to do this. Do we have any guidance at all on how to make good decisions? Best decisions, and the answer's up. Yes. There's a writer, but he's more than a writer. You and I know him as a writer, but they would have known him as someone who was close to Jesus. His name's John, and wrote multiple things that's actually in your Bible. One of the places is in 1 John. And, and to give you context, this guy knew Jesus? This guy like walked, think about who you walk with and who you know and who shapes you like, like in-person kind of stuff. This guy knew the one that we worship, okay? So that's a big deal when he, like this guy's writing stuff, that's a big deal. He gives us tons of guidance on how to make a decision. If you are in the process right now of making a decision, I'm glad you're here. Uh, so let's go. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. I went to seminary for this. If you want to know why he wrote this, is so that you would not sin. You're welcome for that. But what you're seeing is, and you're going to see language like this, he is actually issuing you, issuing you a, a, a warning. If you want to know why this is written and put into the Bible and why it's a big deal to you, is that in your decision making, you need to know there's been a, a warning issue to you. You're going to run into a problem in your decision making. You already know about this, but I want the Bible to spell it out for us. This is a warning. The language is intense. Do not discount what he's trying to do. Let me, let's move on to the next one. Uh, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. So we're getting into, like, don't sin. I'm like, well, sin. I mean, could we not have a long conversation about all the sins? Yeah, you want, we won't do that today, totally. Uh, but when you're trying to fight sin. You have to go after the love of the world. By the word, the, the word love here, you're like, love, I love steak. Some of you love, as we have heard before, maybe you didn't know this, nachos. Um, and we say, I love a lot, of, like, a lot of things. I love favorite shows. This is the love of love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is like the number one kind of love. Like, whoever your number one is, he's saying, it's okay to love like, things at, at this level, but there's like a number one kind of a love. 
Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. This is not saying you have to hate the beauty of creation. It doesn't say you have to dig yourself a hole and you can never experience any part of the world. Run, 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 run. And that sounds absurd, but you know that there is, there's a whole historical story about people who just run and hide and think that's the response to this. Because like, well, I don't want to love it. No, it's talking about your number one kind of love. The warning for you and I is do not sin. You want to make good decisions? Don't sin. Okay, how do I not do that? Is pay attention to who your number one love is. Then he spells out more. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving. This is important. It's why I highlighted it. Uh, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. This just talked about cravings. You see that, that's, that's easy for you to get. What you may not know is, he just brilliantly spelled something out that you may have missed if you've not read the whole Bible. He's not verbatim, but he is referring to another part of the Bible that is the essence of decision-making when it comes to not loving the world as number one, not getting yourself into trouble like you don't want to get yourself into trouble. He's referencing it, but we read it and we're like, well, okay, that's cool. No, he's going all the way back to Genesis. So I'll read to you what I've already actually read in the series. Uh, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At first glance, you're like, what in the world does that have to do with the first part about the, the cravings? Great question, I'd like to walk you through it. Um, there are the three major sins listed there. Lust of the eyes. She saw that the tree was beautiful. When you look at your decision-making, what you're processing right now, what you're contemplating doing, you're not sure, no, you should, or maybe you're referring back to the past, and you're like, okay, when have I gotten myself into trouble because I made the decision that I should not have made? This could be one of the reasons, this lust, this craving. I know lust seems intense, but it's the word scripture uses in multiple translations. She, she saw that the tree was beautiful. The lust of the flesh, its fruit looked delicious. Talking about what her, her body's actually uh, craving, her, her flesh. It sounds intense too if you're new to this, but it's actually craving. Then the third one, lust of the mind. She, she wanted the wisdom it would give her. The Bible doesn't have to be overly complicated for you. If you've ever made a choice and it was the wrong one, in essence, that it got you into a place, in essence, you sinned, and you're like, how did I get there? According to scripture, according to God, according to people who walk with Jesus, it probably came into one of these three categories. What it helps you and I understand is, if we're gonna make good decisions, it makes it easier to simplify the categories that we're trying to satisfy. And here's the lesson that you know that you probably were taught as a kid, our cravings impact our choices. If you wanna make good choices, you have to look at what you're doing with your cravings. Because if you're a human being breathing right now, your cravings, if you chase every single one of them, are gonna get you to a place going, how in the world did I get here? We have lots of different cravings. You know, I like to tell you food stories. So, uh, so when I was a kid, we'd come home from school 
And I mean, right after school, I would go up to my mom really quick. She's, she was a teacher. And so she was doing some other things and just flat out tired. And I would say, mom, I'm starving. That was the terminology. I thought it was accurate, but I would say, I'm starving. And she would look at me and her response was very consistent. Well, what would you like to eat? And I'm like, well, we don't have anything. I would go through the, the pantry and the fridge and, and basically I say they don't have anything is there was nothing prepared that had sugar or icing anywhere on it. That was like, we had already eaten all the pop tarts and all the chips were gone. And so I was like, I'm starving, mom. I'm starving. Would you do something? Meanwhile, she knows that like dinner is about an hour and a half away. And she's like, well, okay. And she would not fight me on this one. She was brilliant. She is so brilliant. She said, okay. I'll make you something if you're starving. I was like, oh, thanks, mom. She would go to the cabinet almost every time, pull out lima beans. <laughs> and it was a bit of a, a power play. Some of you, I know you're going, that looks really good. To me, you could not wrap that in enough of barbecue to make it appealing to me. <laughs> There's actually no amount of bacon that could resolve this and say, yep, I'm okay with that. Still to this day, even telling you about lima beans, it's just, to me, the consistency, everything about it, to me, is absolutely gross. And my mom, as you know, you're, she's doing a bit of a, oh, you're starving? And she's going after my true craving, right? She's like, if you're really starving, we have food, son. We've got food. I will make you food. I will interrupt my rest. I will interrupt all this to make you a can of lima beans. And I would storm off because I wasn't eating lima beans. She wins the argument. I learn a life lesson. See, the problem is you don't always wait for someone to prepare something for you. You just chase your craving and you go find it. You're making decisions. You gotta pay attention to what you're doing with your cravings. And many of us say, because it's a craving I have, we begin to say, well, then it must be a good craving. And I was craving, like I told you, sugar, icing, anything that was unhealthy, salty, everything about it, I was craving that. And that does not make it good for me. When you're making decisions, you have to pay attention to all your cravings. But what kind of craving is it? Is it a craving from a love of the world? Let's go back to what John's teaching us. For the world offers only a craving. Let me emphasize this. The world offers a craving, not a solution to it. Very simple observation in scripture. The world offers you tons of cravings, tons of stuff that at first glance will either make you feel addicted to it or will satisfy something in a moment but does not provide a permanent solution. So all the time, all of life, you're gonna have this, ooh, that looks good, but it's not good for you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. There again, the three categories of sin being repeated, going, I don't want you to sin. I want you to make the best decisions uh, for forever. And he's actually going after, I want you to have a thriving relationship with God. If you grew up in a setting like I did, that was legalistic, where it was all about how good you were and what you didn't do, you begin to misinterpret this and be like, oh, this is all about being perfect. No, no. This is a beautiful lesson of going, he's going, I don't, I don't want you to miss out on a thriving relationship with God. You gotta pay attention to these three things. So these are not from the Father, but are from this world. Let's go deeper. Here, our, our cravings can create counterfeit gods. 
with no intention of shaming anyone whatsoever. I, I wonder how elevated you have made your cravings in your life right now. What you want, what you think is right, what you desire, how you're making your decisions based on what is true to you. I wonder what you've done with that and how much that leads in your life. And many writers have used the terminology counterfeit gods. I grew up with false, false gods was the name of it. Tim Keller uh, writes about this. A counterfeit god is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. I find this personally very convicting. Would you like to know how I find it convicting? Because I'm madly in love with my wife. But do you know that in marriage it's easy to make a counterfeit God out of someone that you love so dearly to where everything is built on them? I've told you many times I love my kids, all of them, not just a few of them, okay? Do you know that is a current trend right now for parents to allow the kid to parent themselves and everything is about the craving of the kid? If you've dated ever, you know how easy it is to quickly make that person everything. It's easy to make finances something like this. I think Tim Keller gets after something that, that we, we can make anything and I would say anything, into an alternative to God. In your decision making, I wonder, no one's perfect. No one, no one, no one, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. But there are many of us right now, as we're beginning to decision make about how we run our lives, how we spend our time, how we spend our finances, what we do in relationships, how we help others or how we don't help others, how we vote, what we think about politics and what we think about hope and what we think about this world and what we think about all of it. We're making daily decisions about this. I wonder what's the root of your decision making. Could it be in danger of that you have put something up on a pedestal saying this is most important to me, but it's not what is most important to God. And if you do that, I'm not hating on you. I've got probably more stories than most of us that say, here's a moment I've done this. We've all done this where we've said, this is what I craved, so this is number one. I'm going after it. I've seen others do this. This seems okay now. But it's... It's going to jeopardize so much. Let's go back again. And this world is, is fading away. If you want to know why he's warning us, if he's wanting to know like decisions are important, here's how to make decisions, here's why you have an urgency to this, is because this is fading away along with everything that people crave. What you crave, what the world has to offer you does not go with you. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Let that mess with you for a little bit. If you believe in God and you track with the Bible and you lean on the Bible as authority and it just literally said that if you do this, you live forever, you're like, wait a minute, that sounds a bit supernatural. It sounds a bit like Harry Potter maybe. I don't know what classification to put that in. And that's really in the Bible. Your decision-making, my decision-making influences our eternity. So here's how to make good decisions. Good decisions are based on God's desires. 
when you're processing, should I? When will I? When you're looking at your own life, not the life of a politician or the life of someone who is annoying you in your life, when you look at your daily decisions, your monthly decisions, are they coming from the desires of God? And many of us would have to say, I'd like them to be, but I don't know. The Bible says, so you must remain faithful. This is good, we'll get to it. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. This is why many of us are like, I wasn't taught anything from the beginning, I'm new to this. And so let me just not pause the sermon, but just say, I'm proud of you for tuning into a sermon, however you are, saying, you know what, I, I don't know the whole Bible. I don't have it all memorized. I don't understand it all, but I want to. I want to glean some wisdom from God. This is a part of that process. You may not have received it from the beginning, but you can now. You can learn the desires of God. So you must remain faithful. This is one of the desires of God to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. Good decisions require, just exactly what they said, faithfulness. Faithfulness. If you want to know from the beginning what is so crucial to your decision making, it's faithfulness. So uh, we're teaching our kids how to study. And if you want to know one of the most painful things that I've ever experienced, it is this process. Uh, One, because I remember it myself because I have no leverage. I can't say, well, your father studied a lot. Um, I didn't even buy books in college. That might scare you because I'm your pastor in theory and you're like, I, I was a horrible student. Horrible, horrible. So when I'm sitting and studying with my kids, I have, when they say, did you do this? I have to go like, well, it's not about me right now, is it? Right? (laughs) Right, that's, this is the annoying part of parenting. I have no leverage like that. Katie, Katie on the other hand, be like, yeah, sure, I studied all the time. Um, so we're studying with our kids, and, and our kids, this will shock you, do not thoroughly love studying with us. It, they don't come home going, I have a test, would you please sit down with me and help me do what, and so we've had to teach this. And I remember one in particular moment where, where I studied with Hayden. That is a short synopsis of that whole night. But I studied with Hayden and I gave him like, here's how we're going to study this. And we, we made, he made flashcards and we did this, hated the whole thing and did the whole spiel. He's given me permission to tell you this, that he said that, that this is not how I learn. This is not the best way. And I'm like, well, this is how you're going to learn. And we began to work on it, work on it, work on it. He went to school, turned the work in and then did a test to that day. And he did not do well in any of it. I was like, oh no. And you know what he told me? Well, studying with you didn't work. I don't want to do that anymore. I'll tell you that because here's what I wanted to show you. We do the same thing with God. God says, okay, here's what I want you to do and how I want you to do it. And so we're like, well, I'll give you one swing at this. And we do it God's way one time and it doesn't work the way we think it ought to work. We don't look at the lesson that maybe we were supposed to learn. And consistently in decision making, we're giving God like one swing every several months. That's not faithfulness. Jesus was crazy faithful uh, and valued it. Let, Let me show you some scriptures about faithfulness. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities, uh, just faithfulness, you seen valued, then Jesus, as he was characterized as faithful, 
Let me show you the next one. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest, for he was, for he was faithful to God, who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. Faithfulness is where we often fail. If you want to know how to make a great marriage possibly happen, faithfulness. If you want to know how to make good friendships happen, faithfulness. If you want to know how to run your finances well, faithfulness. You look at the decision that it needs to be made and you are faithful to it. So many of us are making one-time decisions and abandoning it at the moment of tension and we're done with it. If you want to be a good decision maker, it's not all of it bearing down on what do I do because most of us actually know what to do. It's will I be faithful to it. Faithfulness is one of the most powerful things you can bring to life. Jesus brought it, taught it, showed it, and demands it and asks for it. Uh, I, like, I like history stories. Uh, let, me, let me end the time with this. Uh, there's a group called the, the Red Tails, and this is a war story, but uh, it's pretty cool. The, the Tuskegee Airmen, uh, they're famous for two reasons. Uh, one, uh, they were the first African-American military aviators in the U.S. Armed Forces. Uh, Second, they were defined by their faithfulness. What made them popular, the reason I'm going to tell you about them is because of their faithfulness. Very in short, uh, the way they did war was you would have fighter planes and bombers. By the way, this is a perfect description, right? Yeah, of course, it's a fighter plane. Of course, it's a bomber. Uh, and, And what would happen is the fighter guy is supposed to protect the bomber, but then bad guys would come and the fighter planes would go off and, and get the bad guys. The problem is now you get the bomber going, where'd everyone go? And they got shot down all the time, losing sometimes more than 10 people at one time. And they're like, we have a problem. So they assigned the Tuskegee guys. They said, don't ever leave for any other reason. You stay with the bombers. And they deployed this new situation where they actually stayed with the bombers no matter what was going on around them. If planes were flying right at them, you stayed with the bombers. And it changed everything. Fewer bombers got shot down. You better believe bomber pilots better being saying, hey, are the Tuskegee guys coming with us? Because we need them. And they began to be defined by their faithfulness. I wonder if you could be defined by your faithfulness. Our decision making is one thing, but will you be faithful to it? That's, I think, a lesson from Jesus for us. So here's what I'd like us to do. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want you processing this. This is for you. This is for you and between you and God. If you can, remove all the other pressures and and crazy out and focus on you and God and your faithfulness to God because you have not been perfect nor have I and most of us have stories of how we've been unfaithful. So what do we do with this? How do we get back to making good decisions where we no longer love the world, we love God? I think we examine our faithfulness. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us. All of us have painful moments, I think, where we have been unfaithful to you, to others. Lord, would you, on a daily basis, nightly basis, weekly, monthly, yearly, God, would you show us where we are unfaithful to the decisions that we've made for your glory? Where we've abandoned what is right because it didn't go right. Lord, would you bring us back? Shower us with grace. Oh, we need your grace. We all need your grace. Forgive us of our unfaithfulness, Lord, and we commit now to walk in a life that is very faithful to you. 
for your glory. Do a work in us, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.